about a millennium, over a millennium and a half, uh, before Paul wrote his letter to the, to the Romans, was a man who was going through, walking through the wilderness, and God appeared to him. He, he was 80 years old, the man, so I guess he was ready to meet God at that point. And God, God speaks to him. He has a conversation, but he experiences God as this bush that is burning, but it doesn't burn up. Uh, that is how he encounters this God that he had been serving, finally now knowing. And uh, it's, it's a very strange experience. He turns aside to look at it. There's this bush, and it's burning. It's all this big, this huge blaze, and yet there's nothing going into it. There's, there's no fuel. The, the fire, the burning is of itself. It's independent. And in the ensuing conversation, it, it becomes clear that this man, his name was Moses, he had something very difficult to do. He, he was uh, not sure he could do it. He had to go and convince not only the Pharaoh, but the people of Israel that God had sent him and he was to take the people out of Egypt. And Moses didn't think he could do it, didn't, didn't want to do it. Uh, and in response to that, God gives him the name. The name. Who are you? He wants to know. And God tells him, I am. I am. It's uh, these four letters that we translate in English. We call it the Tetragrammaton. Y-H-W-H. We, we, we pronounce it Yahweh. We don't know how it was actually pronounced because the, the consonants weren't pointed in the scripture. So we don't know the vowels that were used. But we say Yahweh. But it is an expression of being. It's an expression of absolute independence, eternal non-dependence. I am. It's just, I am. There is God, his existence, not depending on anything else. And this name is a real characteristic, shows us a real characteristic of God. Yeah, scripture uses it over 5,300 times. <laughs> to refer to the Almighty 5,300 times, obviously saying something characteristic about who God is. So if you're reading in your, in your King James Version and you see Lord, the word Lord in all capital letters, what's behind that is this word, Yahweh, is the Tetragrammaton. And uh, that's the way it's translated in English. All throughout the scriptures, this is who God is, expressing an important attribute to us about it. And so Moses is equipped, it's interesting, for what he has to do. He's backed up against something beyond which there was nothing else. And it is, it is that which propels him forward, gives him fortitude. It's also that to which the Apostle Paul returns in his praise of God as he is dealing with the issues and difficulties of his own people in Romans chapter 11. So let's explore that this morning. Would you stand with me as we hear read? Uh, first, Moses' encounter from Exodus 3 and then Romans 11. Let's hear. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, 
the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And Romans, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Yes, you know, I'm very grateful that a couple of weeks ago, Steve Carter gave us this excellent treatment of Romans chapter 11. Uh, and he covered kind of the whole chapter, which allows me to kind of focus here on the final, final praise, final paragraph of, of the chapter, as he talked about um, what was going on with Paul and his people. And by the way, this is the way we were doing Romans as we're going through this series you know, uncovering, trying to bring out how God in Romans, we're being shown that God is the just and the justifier of all who trust. We're in the all who trust part of the book, really, Jews and Gentiles uh, coming to the Lord. And uh, this is the way we've done it. I've, I've uh, apportioned out two sermons per chapter. And I realize that for some of you, that might be disappointing because we won't focus on your particular verse, your favorite verses from Romans. We might not get to them just doing two sermons per chapter. But it is a way for us to actually make it through the book. Uh, as I said, a long, long letter, both by modern standards or ancient standards. Um, so there are churches that you know, take five years and go through, go through the book of Romans. We're not accustomed to that here. But we did want to give attention and, and do justice to all the the parts of the book, all the chapters of the book. So two, two, uh, two chapters, two sermons per chapter. And Steve did a great job in, in, in bringing out how Romans 11 is really an expression of Paul's anguish for his people. And that was great because we could see how when, when we have anguish about our people, we can relate uh, to what Paul is saying. So I'm going to focus instead on, on the last thing that Paul gets to in Romans 11 when he is when he is. He's trying to deal with his disappointment over what's happened. And he comes to this place of praise. He comes to the place of lifting God up. And the, and the quality that he highlights in this praise that we just heard read is God's independence. So I want to talk about that and why Paul gets there. What does that mean? This attribute of God we call his independence. It's something that, that is is, is a, a little difficult to talk about, but it's key to talk about. It's, 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 an, it's a key attribute of God. And it's good because it helps us to see, because we can recognize it in ourselves to some extent, but it also shows us how different we are from God, how there's a great distance between us and the Almighty. And as we do that, um, in a strange way, we we see how this attribute of God is, is what we really need, in fact. So it meets a need so basic in us, it's hard to even talk about, but we're going to talk about it. So this is what we're talking about. God is independent. He is, he is of himself. He is, he is of himself in all things. He's self-sufficient. 
Sometimes you hear the word aseity used, A-S-E-I-T-Y, God's aseity, this attribute of God. And that means, it's just a, a kind of uncommon word, it means that God is self-sufficient in his existence. In his existence, he depends on nothing. He just is. He doesn't have a cause, doesn't have a, a beginning. He's just self-sufficient as in his existence. So as Isaiah 45 says, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. He is without cause. But I like the word independence rather than a siebe because God is not just independent in his existence. He's independent in everything. He is of himself in all things. So he's independent in his power. Psalm 115, the psalmist says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Right? So God is of himself. He doesn't need batteries, right? Doesn't need food, doesn't need any input. His power is just it. it. It comes from of himself, completely independent in his power. And so that's why Paul says, you see in verse 35, who has first given to him? Who has given to God? Actually, the answer, nobody, right? Because God is the only true renewable energy source. You know, we talk a lot about that, that, you know, we want a renewable energy source, right? But there's always something else coming into the equation, right? We got to keep an eye on the other, the other terms coming into that energy equation. Like, what does it take actually to make solar panels and such? But God is, is truly uh, the only renewable energy power, energy source there is in the universe, beyond the universe, because he's independent in his power. He's also independent in his thinking, okay? As Paul says here, um, who has become his counselor, right? The answer again, no one. Because God is completely self-sufficient in his wisdom, in his knowledge, in his thinking. Uh, we you know, tend to bounce off our thoughts from, from other people. Like we tend to you know, get ideas from other things that we've heard. But God is completely uh, independent in the way that uh, he, his thoughts are all complete, they don't come from anywhere. You know? He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need your counsel in running the universe. There's a tip for you. Might stop telling him that how he needs to do it better. He doesn't need your advice. He's completely um, self-sufficient in that regard. I like the way Johannes Kepler put it, a scientist. Uh, he said, you know, even in our best thoughts, even in our best thoughts, what we are doing, yeah, as a scientist, you know, he'd say our best thoughts, when we discover truth, we're really just thinking God's thoughts after him. Kepler said, we're thinking God's thoughts. Even, even when we come to some new truth, we're thinking God's thoughts after him. But God is not that way. He's always independent in his thinking. He's always also independent in his love. He does not need love. He doesn't get love anywhere else because he has love within himself. And we've seen that, have we not, through the book of Romans. As we've gone through, right, we had our triad, uh, Paul's triads in, in the Romans contest, okay, and we had some winners there, because God is, we've, we find in the book of Romans that God has three, God is three, and he's one. And, and we saw the kind of rudimentary truths that have given rise in the Christian church to the doctrine of the Trinity, 
that God is not just one, he's three. So he has a community within himself already, a community of love. So he's independent in his love. And so what Paul is doing here in this passage that we read is elaborating on that. Verse 36, all things are from him. All things are of him. And if all things are of him, all things relate to him, then he is not from anything. Right? 1 Corinthians 8 says that all things are from God. Right? One God from whom are all things. Revelation 4. You are the one, and from you, all your will, all things exist. All things are dependent upon him. So if everything's dependent upon him, then he is dependent on nothing. Because everything that is, is dependent on him. Okay? The way that Jesus puts it so beautifully, John chapter 5, he says, God has life in himself. He's the causeless cause. Now, this is, this is a little bit grating to an atheist. If you're here and you're an atheist, you might say, well, you know, all these things God causes. Well, what causes God? And that might not make sense to you. The atheist would prefer an infinite regress. You know, there's always something that causes that. But Christian, as a Christian, we would say that's a, that's a mistake in categories, in, 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 in saying that God is subsumed in a category when he is not subsumed in any category. He is the one without categories. So he is the prime mover. He is the causeless cause. But I would like to tell you, whether you're an atheist or a Christian this morning, why it is important for us to affirm and receive from God's aseity, from his independence. Because it actually makes uh, a practical difference in our lives that God is independent, that he is self-sufficient. Because it means, friends, that he does not need us. He doesn't need us. Verse 35, none of us first give to him. Old Testament, New Testament. God is the Alpha and the Omega. Whereas Paul says in Acts 17 at the Areopagus, he says, you know, he is not served by human hands as if, as if he needed anything. He doesn't need our food, doesn't need our sacrifices, doesn't need our gifts. And so he's not like us, you know. We say to our, our lover, oh, I need you. Right? Or, oh, I don't know what I could do. I couldn't go on without you. And the other person brightens, right? Because they're needed. And we say, well, we need, I need you so much, you know. But God could never say that. We're people, right, who need people. Remember that old song? People who need people are what? The luckiest people. That's not us. No, you don't remember that song. It's okay. <laughs> That's not a song that God could ever sing. Because he doesn't need us. He never did. He never will need us. It's completely self-sufficient. Which means, friends, that he never loves out of neediness like us. He never does. He never acts toward us out of need, which, if we're honest, is pretty much standard for us. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, why are we kind to other people? Why do we show acts of kindness to other people? 
A lot of times, if we're honest, it's so that the other people will like us. And you say, oh, no, no, no. I'm just kind to people out of the goodness of my heart, you know, in order to be good, in order to be kind. But a lot of times, actually, if we're really honest, we've figured it out, that we're, if, if we're kind to other people, actually, they're kind to us, too. <laughs> if we're nice to other people, they're nice to us, a lot of the way it works. You say, no, no, no. Actually, you want to you wanna see how much of your kindness is based on others liking you? Take away the liking you part. Go into a, enter into a situation where you will not be liked and then see how kind you are. Enter into a situation where there's no possible way that you're going to be liked. You know you are not going to be liked in that situation. Are you still kind to those people in that situation? Why are we so loyal to our team at work, right? I know at work you're the conscientious one. You're the one who gets the job done. You're the one who's there for the other people when they need something from you, right? You're the, you're the team member. You're there. You're loyal to the team. Why are we so loyal at our work? Well, if we're honest, a lot of times it has to do with getting a paycheck, right? It's because we need the job, because we need the insurance. You want to know how you can find out how much of your loyalty is based on that? Take away the getting paid part. Just take that out of the equation. Enter into an organization where you're not getting paid. Then see how loyal, how is your loyalty to the organization? You know, even in our love relationships, okay, so this is not something we like to admit, but we are very dependent, very dependent on the loves of our lives very dependent on our loves of our lives. So it's not something that we talk about, but why are we being extra nice to our spouse? Are we being extra nice to our spouse because we need our spouse physically? Are we being extra nice to our spouse because we need our spouse's affirmation or approval or we need peace? I could keep going here. <laughs> How about parents? You know, we know, you know this as parents, right? The longer you are a parent, the more you deal with this. Why am I treating my child the way I'm treating my child? Okay. Am I doing what I'm doing? What's the motivation, if we're honest? Am I, being, am I letting that behavior go in my child? because I'm merciful or because I need the affection of my child? Am I disciplining the child to respect me because that's the child's benefit? That's for the child's benefit? Or is it because I need the respect? Do I give to my child these different things because I want to bless them or do I give to the child because I want to be seen? I need to be seen as a good parent by the child, or by the neighbors, or by, because I'm still a child, my own parents. Why is it? So, you know, I'm going on like this. I don't, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. <laughs> it might seem like I am. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm saying this because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to show us how we are people of need. 
we, we kind of have to operate this way, more or less, because we're needy. We're, we are not independent. We are not self-sufficient. We are dependent, but not God. Not God. He never acts out of need. He doesn't need our love, doesn't need our honor, doesn't need our paycheck. Doesn't need our affection. So then what does that make God? Does that make God a, you know, crusty old character? Like a Scrooge character up in the clouds, you know, shuffling around in his slippers saying, I don't need anybody, I don't need anybody. Is that what it makes God? No, friends, it is precisely, precisely God's independence that allows him to love us so well. He says it in Hosea 14, which is, by the way, a book about giving when you're getting nothing in return, Hosea. And he says it so beautifully, Hosea 14. He says, I will love my people freely. I will love them freely. So beautifully put. His aseity secures us. Because love given out of independence gives us comfort. Because we know his love is not dependent on his need. See, this is what Paul comes to in his praise when he's experiencing this anguish about, and, uh, about his disappointment over his people. As Steve talked about, he comes to this praise about it because he's backed up against a love that does not come out of need. Where do you, where do you need comfort? Where, where are you unsteady? You can trust in his love because it's not dependent on any need in him. So it secures you. We're secured by that love given out of independence. God's aseity gives us strength as well. Moses needed fortitude. And in response, God gives him the name. Right? What are you facing that you don't want to do? What is you facing that you need fortitude for? You do not want to do it, but you have to do it. God would give you, as he gave to Moses, the name, I am, so that you can be backed up against that. You know, we can't move without having something to push against. We can't, we can't resist unless there's something against we can put our backs to push. And God's independence is that solidness that we need. That's what Moses found. Moved up, moved back against something beyond which there was not anything. And we're, we're not able to brace ourselves against that unless God truly is independent. But if God is for us and his aseity stands behind us, then there's not anything really against us. That's what Moses found. That's what Paul found. And you know, his aseity also makes us better lovers. Because if the independent one answers your needs, you love less out of neediness. 
You don't need to respond to others because of what you need. And actually, that's rather attractive, that kind of love in a person. That's what we get. Do you see how important this aseity is, this, in, in, this characteristic, this attribute of God? And we see it expressed supremely, of course, when God manifested himself by becoming one of us in Jesus Christ. You know, one time Jesus was uh, arguing with the Pharisees, and he was infuriating them because he did not need them. <laughs> this is John chapter 8, and he says, he says, you know, I am the light of the world. And I am the light of the world, and I'm the one saying that I'm the light of the world. The Pharisees are infuriated. They're like, you know, you're the one saying that you're the light of the world. You're testifying about yourself. We don't believe you. Because it's, it's like you're, you're acting as if all you need to do is say it yourself, and it's the, and it's the case. And Jesus, is, and Jesus says, yep, that's pretty much what I'm saying. And they're like, where do you get off thinking that you can say something about yourself and have it be true? Who do you think you are? And in response, this is John chapter 8, in response, Jesus gives them the name. Who do you think you are? And his answer is, I am. And that's when they start picking up stones to, to kill him. Because they understood God's aseity. Did you see what Jesus was exhibiting there before us? He was exhibiting the independence of God, the same attribute. And it's not just his enemies who recognize that. His friends recognize that. One time, one of Jesus' closest friends, is he just said about him, you know, Jesus never gave himself to anybody. This is John, you know, one of his closest friends on earth, he said, you know, he never, he never, gave, he never entrusted himself to, to, to anyone because he didn't, he knew what was in us, didn't need to. And, you know, he never needed anybody really to tell him about people. He never knew it. He never needed anybody to say something to him because he already knew what was in people. So you see, this is not his enemy. This is his friend. John is not saying that to be critical of Jesus. He's saying that because he found this in wonder, uh, in admiration to be what he needed. You see, what John found, he explains this in his gospel. This is from John 2, where he says that what he found is because he understood Christ's independence, that meant when Jesus made himself vulnerable to us, which he did by dying on the cross, that he finally understood how precious and how priceless that gift was. How priceless that love was. Because he didn't need to. He didn't need anything from us. And yet, his love, freely given, from no need whatsoever, we see in what Christ did for us. That we're about to celebrate now at the table. This is what Moses discovered was his fortitude. This is what Paul discovered was his comfort. And this is what John is saying makes this gift so priceless. I want you to experience it now as we come to the table, what Christ has done so freely for you out of his aseity. Please stand with me.